I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Palawa people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. And that is exactly why we would always work the way we do. It is a lot of work, it is a lot of travel, it is a lot of getting around, but it's it's us passing on our excitement and our ambassadorship of what we try to do and the story we want to tell. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. If you think about avant-garde fine wine, micro-batches and Tasmania, you'll probably think of Nav Singh. He is one half of Domain Simha, along with his wife, Louise Radman. Together, they shape living wines based on ancient knowledge and intuition. Hi, Nav. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Shante. Thanks for having me. It's lovely. It's been too long between drinks. I'm just going to pour myself something now. I hope you've got something in front of you. Definitely do. I've got a lovely gin right here. Perfect. I don't doubt that you're drinking some delicious gin. Now, Nav, I have to say, of all the appointments that I took at Key, I always, always looked forward to yours. And it's been too long since we've sat in front of each other, but at least I get to have a little chat to you today. Yeah, no, it was it was one of our highlights and it's always our highlights to come and see everyone when I'm doing our little sales trip or new wine releases and so because that's what it's all about for us, meeting the people and sharing those wines which we create with a lot of love and passion and talk about it. So and that's kind of what makes it so much fun for us. Mm. And there was a bit of a hiatus for a little while there where you weren't able to travel and get in front of people and it's it's not really the same on Zoom, is it? No, it wasn't actually. It was amazing the disconnect you have because um, the face-to-face element, which we thought we might lose because of this two years of being away, was um, was quite um, quite hard. But it was the, the the trip actually after the COVID happened was was actually amazing because we we managed to go and literally we hardly talked about the wines. It was just reconnecting with everyone. And having that chat and seeing how everyone was with their mental state and how their businesses were. And and I think that's the beauty of, of doing the way things which we do without using any distributors and, and meeting the people. Is there it's a much bigger family you end up having with all the restaurants and, and retailers and, and the fine wine stores you work with because everyone has emotions and things are happening and, and you, you, you just basically connect in different level when you're doing it in, in, the, in this format. It's so very true. And I think that, um, you know, I, I, some of the questions I asked with, you know, people that I were particularly close with when we kind of came back and, and I know we had this conversation was, how do I help you now? How do we get your business up and running? How can I support you? And it was nice to just kind of like be that direct with each other, wasn't it? And kind of go, you know, we've all suffered. How are we all going to mutually benefit from this point onwards? Uh, it was amazing because I think the openness of people and, and how things work and what was happening and how they were feeling and and how good it was to be back, but still all the challenges that were coming along with with how to manage their business, how to how to like have their their finances, or also their mental state of just being where they were, and and how they've not have been able to see their family, which were you know for many of people overseas, like myself. It was just a very kind of interesting conversation. But then there was a common thread that all of us wanted to reconnect and have that connection back of of uh, talking to the people who are excited about what they do so yeah you, you nailed it when you when you said that that's so true now let's go back and talk a little bit about kind of your background and, and your heritage 
Um, so my background definitely different from the wine industry, especially from the time when I started. So, so I'm I'm born in in India in Delhi, and um, I arrived in Australia as a young student, um, which is now a long time back, ninety five now. So when I arrived, so getting older every day, as, and um, it was um, it was of course you know the wine was not what I came to study at that time we were studying something completely different but it was um the the time when you spend studying you always end up being in hospitality or you go and you know you have to earn some money to pay for your uni fees or just uh, have to be doing everyday life so I was very lucky to be able to get a gig in hospitality and i was studying in Adelaide, but ended up going to Sydney for a few months so that I thought I'd be able to work a lot more and 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 um, earn some good money for that time. And um, I got a job at the Park Hyatt in Sydney, an amazing little property. And um, and working there from starting up to being just a regular waiter, we just got into uh, the number seven restaurant, which was um, one of the fine dining restaurants of, uh, of Park Hyatt. And um, we had this amazing sommelier there who was uh, very keen in giving every person who was there a bit of a taste of different things and what was on, on the matching on that degustation on that day and uh, talk about the flavors. And, and, and the way he communicated was so fascinating for me, for someone who had not really kind of done anything with alcohol, let alone wine or, or so. So that was um, what the starting point where I was just super excited about about things and how it, a, a beverage could evoke so much emotions and so much excitement and uh, and have a whole adjective and descriptors and and um, and uh, excitement behind it. So so that kind of was a starting point for me from coming from India and, um, and getting into the hospitality and the wine scene. And 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 through there, I was able to start up my journey and and find that I had a real love and excitement about wine and um, the tasting part was probably the most fun part for us because it it was those descriptors those flavors that we used to find in different grape varieties and different different styles of wine from different parts of the world and just uh, the, the the knowledge and the desire for finding everything about it was what got me onto the journey of of wine mm. Yeah, I love I love when you have an experience like that, and it, like you said, it kind of opens up a door that, you, and you step into a world you kind of like, oh my god, this exists. So, what did you do from that point onward? How did you um, go about creating this career for yourself? Um, it was um, it was quite exciting because the first few months of getting excited about things was was great. We were we were we were looking. I was coming back to Adelaide and, and studying. And then after doing a couple of years of travel back and forth from Adelaide to Sydney, when I got back uh, to finish my degree of, um, I was doing business management and so, and I got a job at the Adelaide Hyatt um, as the sommelier, and, um, and which was a Blake's restaurant at that time. And it had an amazing wine program. It had won the best wine list um, in South Australia and had an amazing a range of wines, which uh, the GM at that time had a great passion for. It would open all these different wines, which were from across from Barossa to 
to across Burgundy, to Bordeaux, to, to Loire and Germany. He was a, of a German descent, so we drank lots of lovely German wines and Rieslings. And, and that kind of um, availability to these, these extraordinary wines from across the globe with um, Blake's and Hyatt being a very crucial kind of crux for a lot of winemakers to come through, there was a real amazing blend of in, in information which came from all of these winemakers and I was I was this young kid always wanting to ask about everything and anything you could ask there was um, guests who would come in and bring um, 30 40 year old Grange and uh, old hench keys and we would just um, kind of try to soak in as much as possible and, and and that kind of journey of trying and tasting all these wines um, got my idea of what we wanted to do was that the next step was automatically was that I wanted to get into the making of the wine and learning through what the science does. So, so I had a um, couple of people who were, who would come from Adelaide Uni. There was guys like Patrick Ireland, who was, he's an, he's, you know, an icon of, of the Adelaide University. And we would have a few conversations with him and he said, this is definitely the journey you should, you should get on. Uh, studying winemaking and viticulture and um, and uh, I finished my degree and was able to get a quick entry so I was able to do my degree in a couple of years so which was which was great so Adelaide Uni was a great little um, uh, point where I was able to to increment and get real understanding of the science behind the art of winemaking. Yeah, wow. And then you, you did travel for a little bit too, didn't you? You went into Burgundy and Bordeaux and how was that with experience amazing i imagine yeah no it's it's um like i think well the continuation of the story was we we i studied my winemaking we were able to meet like our first job i got was um when david win was um just um and andrew win uh, was about to sell Mount Adam to Moore Tennessee group so my first harvest was at Mount Adam which was part of the LVMH group and then um, worked from there to to Chandon. And, and over the time, I met um, uh, Jean-Pierre, who was owner at that time of uh, um, Domaine de Lalo. And uh, we had a great little time and a chat. We were doing at the, I think it was in Mornington Pinot Forum. And um, we were talking about uh, my my little journey and how what, what I was doing. And, and I just finished my university and wanted to come and work in Burgundy. And he said, yeah, definitely come and come and work for us. And um, and he had already had lots of people from Australia who had come and worked at at Delala. So so it was um, an, an amazing decision of uh, so so Lou and I we we first year Lou was um, doing um, a little scholarship and we we went across and um, and then I went and did my first harvest in two thousand four in uh, at Domain Delalo which was uh, like an amazing, amazing experience. And, 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 and that, was, that was like, they, they became like a family to us. And Jean-Pierre and Lilo was, um, was an amazing host. And, and the, the world of wine again just became another explosion after that because uh, we had um, an opportunity to see really the insights of how Burgundy kind of worked and how the people worked and what, what it was like to be in the top echelon of uh, of Burgundy producers because each year we will do harvest and at the end of the harvest um, Jean-Pierre will take us across and we go to um, 
to Romani Conti and we go to Grivo and we go to uh, Rumiere and we'll go to all the top producers across um, Bourne and, and Louis St. George and we'll see what they were doing and how the wines were and, and what was coming out from, from, from each of the, the, the vintages and the wines. And that was just amazing. It was just mind-blowing to see, see them really in action and, uh, and see how everything compared. And the most fascinating thing of that was just the characters and the people and what the wines and how they were able to communicate their own personality through their wines so immensely and so well, and and a similar kind of passion they had for for each of each of their and the way they talked about each of their wines, and as if they were so close and they were just their kids they were bringing into bringing into the world. So which was which was um, you know it's it's unmissable and that kind of excitement is still in part of our our whole life like I, I i get the same kind of excitement every time when i talk about our wines and i think you've seen it firsthand because uh, we can uh, we can really kind of get excited about what what we created or what happened and how that harvest and and vintage made that difference to each of those uh, those blocks and uh, and different wines of ours yes i certainly you know the passion that you have for what you do is incredibly palpable but amazing that you went and had that experience and you had it with Lou together I think that that's really cool because you know they are I mean you know Burgundy's changed a lot and over the over the years and um but to, to be there together straight out of kind of school is is pretty cool do you still talk about some of those um experiences together Oh yeah, definitely. It was like one of our, our best times. We were we were young, we were free, we could travel all across, and um, like the idea of ours was like we will I, I would go there do harvest, and then Lou would either be part of the harvest or we'll come afterwards, and then we'll have times to go travel across different regions around around Europe. So we we would do um, a certain part of of France, or we'll do a certain part of Italy. But we would do it in a way where we'd really get to know the place. And so we'll spend like around two or three weeks um, either living with one of the winery guys or one of the spots. And, and I still remember our, our time when we were in after harvest, we went across to Barolo. We, we stayed with the Brezza family and uh, we were there for three weeks. And uh, and uh, it was amazing. We, would, we knew the inside out of each of the geology of the place and... Um, and how the people lived and what, what they did and what they created and the different seasonal aspects and after vintage, what was happening in the cellar. So it, it, was, it was definitely the lifestyle we were, we were trying to see of, of, um, of, of the way, way we can go and see what, what is being created by each of those places and, and how they, they manage and run through the operation of it because um, that, that was for us uh, a real insight on on how to run our kind of business in a similar format. Yeah, well, well, yeah. Looking at total leaders in in their craft or what they do, that's amazing. I'm Domaine Arlo. Oh my gosh, like just melt thinking about their wines. Tell me though, how you moved or how you decided on Tasmania of all places. So uh, Tasmania was, I think, again, I have to give a lot of credit to Lou about coming and bringing me back to Tasmania because. Um, we were, um, I was finishing up working in, um, in, um, in Burgundy and, and actually I was working all across. I was in Mark River for a bit. And then one of the last things I did over, over in the vintage time, in 2010, I went and worked in Bordeaux and I was um, 
again, very lucky to meet um, Jacques, who is um, owner of the Thierpont family, who were owners of uh, Vista de Sertan and Lapin. So, so it was a, a great little way to get across to Pomerol and uh, spend a few weeks um, making the wines up at, with uh, Jacques at Lapin and, uh, and Vista de Sertan. So that was, um, again, another eye-opener for us and seeing how a really, really top end of uh, production happens and what you have to do and how you create the brand in that format. Um, and then I was, we were trying to think about what we're going to do, whether we start something up back in Adelaide or, and Lou was writing an article on uh, Tasmania at that time. And uh, she said, why don't you come along with me and we'll go and have a little kind of um, travel across and do our reconnaissance on, on Tasmania and um and uh, we we were here in the middle of winter in August, and we went from all the way north down south across Hobart, and and Mona was just starting starting up at that time, and uh, we were just it fell in love, and we thought this was the final frontier for to, for Australia for for uh, for premium wine making, and and you could feel already at that time this was around two thousand nine two thousand ten, that there was something amazing was was happening in in Tasmania and it was already on on the brink of that so we we said that's that's it we're going to try to make our way down to Tasmania somehow or the other and um, it took us a year and a half before we kind of found what we wanted to do and where we wanted to set up and in 2012 we moved in um, to Tasmania to Hobart and um, and started our wine brand mm. it's for me, I mean, I suppose it has to do with my generation too, but it's hard to imagine Tasmania's wine scene without you a part of it. It is, you know, I just can't imagine you're such, the two of you, such characters, but also just so um, invested and capture such a modern take on thoughtful winemaking. So I, I can't imagine Tassie without you. I'm glad that you moved down there and you work with the Upper Derwent, Coal River and Huon Valleys as well. Do you enjoy making wine and, and you working in such different, you know, spaces? Yeah, no, I think there's definitely a discussion about, you know, terroir and and what Tasmania will, will bring forth because I think you would have heard many a times that a lot of people reiterated that some of the best vineyards in Tasmania are still to be planted. And uh, and there's such amazing diversity in, in from all the way north down south. And, um, and you know, we, we, we based ourselves mainly in Upper Derwent where, where we get 90% of our fruit from. But there's always, for me, was from the starting point, was always to find new, exciting little vineyards where we thought there was an amazing potential and, and speak to the grower and, and try to create something fascinating. We, we, like the first year we made some, some Pinot Blanc from from uh, Cold River Valley and, and Gamay from down south in the Huon. It was one of the most southernmost Gamay vineyard in Australia. And um, and it was always about trying to tell the story of what Tasmania can produce in, in not just Pinot, not just Chardonnay, not just Riesling format, but also the, the amazing amount of potential it has with different varietals and, 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 and like things like Shannon, like last year we produced and made one of our first Shannon from one of these only blocks of Shannon in, in uh, Tasmania as well. So there's always, for us, is trying to push that boundaries and try to find something more exciting and new. And in the same way, 
for us is the constant desire to learn and 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 get to know a bit more about ourselves and the place which we are in i think it's hard to um i was trying to think of how to kind of sum up you know what you both do and your brand and i thought it's so um with your brand you are so integrated into your philosophies your character your charm everything is so integrated into your brand but without it being um without it affecting i kind of think your kind of um architecture of what you're doing it's just natural and it just goes into your wines and then your wine making approach is so kind of um held back and reserved and you just let the wine speak so it's so interesting because i think that there's so much of you both in your brand but yet you know you really are kind of a custodian of just letting fruit and a place speak if you were to, to kind of define your philosophy of winemaking how would you say how would you describe that i think it's it's such a good way to put it um Chantel. i think that for for me what what we try to create with us is like of course we've got this amazing passion and excitement for creating things but we also want to make sure that we really speak for the place and and I, i think that again that ideology was very much ingrained seeing what we saw working in burgundy and even at, at lapan like it was really about that site and that place and how how you can tell that place story really well and what we wanted like from our philosophy point of view like we work things like 100% whole bunch for wine making and for me that's a really crucial part of it because it's uh, it's uh, really trying to showcase that the vineyard is the you have to have good fruit side to bring through we work with um vessels which are open vessels which have got oxygen coming through all the time like amphoras white clay amphoras ceramic amphoras and then bar- barrels which which again breathable vessels giving that natural yeast that grows in the vineyard a lot of energy and and um, and um, character so that it can really ferment those those uh, grapes really well um we also believe like with wine making to keep everything on its lease so we'd never rack a wine so that for me is the life of the wine and um and that's where all the textures and the characters comes through the the amazing elements of using oxygen as a key precursor because we got this amazing acidity that comes in Tasmania so we 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 have to work the other way around on getting that textures and characters in the wine and using oxygen which kind of balances that acidity really well and 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 showcases it really well then then working on on the on the lunar phases for our fermentations and and our bottling so th- all of that philosophy was something which automatically took us to the direction of not to intervene much and let that minimal intervention of it kind of let it show through by itself and and the results we got was just uh, amazing they were just so energetic wines with so much story and fascination to tell they were definitely alive and every time you sipped those like a bottle that you opened we got something different and we got something more exciting from it and 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 first year when we made our riesling that that resultant of that wine was just so fascinating for us and we said like this is this is exactly what we wanted to do so it became ingrained in that that philosophy that the less we do with it the more the better the better result we get from it so 
hopefully that covered that that philosophy element in there yes it definitely did. <laughs> <laughs> but like the idea what we get from by doing that is we get these amazing graceful and very balanced then naturally kind of evoking wines which have got this great clarity about itself it's got this lovely definition about itself and that clarity comes i think we personally think is from having real clarity on our philosophy of what we want to do and that that kind of shows through with the wines now very like for me each year we learn and it's becoming more and more clearer for us that philosophy yeah i think you always see the energy um and the living component of your wines because they do taste different depending on the day that you open them. Um, you know, I've always loved looking at, you know, say your, your Beauregards and your two different kind of expressions of, of fruit or flower days. The Lionheart yeah. and the Beauregard. Yeah, and, uh, it's, it's amazing that fun. Yeah, maybe you could give me a little, um, just the for the listeners, a little kind of um, example of, of what I'm talking about because you do it but much better than I do. <laughs> no, I think it's... It's more like, uh, again, trying to learn and trying to see what we get. The, the, the idea of the Lionheart Beauregard, the, the two M4 wines which we make, it's a, a single side wine. It's, um, it's uh, one block which we harvest, one on flower day and one on fruit day, which is generally around two or three days apart from each other. Um, and um, we kind of pick them, ferment them in um, the ceramic M4s. And we just let it be. It's a, it's a, it's a great way to do it because it's an egg shaped, so it creates this amazing convectional current. So it's self-regulating. So it's, it's as little impact from us as possible. And um, they get pressed on their respective flower and fruit days. And, and as they mature, with the natural yeast working through and the chemistry that's been formed, they start to go on their different journey. And, and, and every time when we've seen these wines, they have their own little composition, their flavor profile and how they sit on the palate and how the tannins see and how the anthocyanins and how the color of that wine is. And and it was fascinating for us because we thought maybe it'll be exactly the same, same, it might be much different. But as you see them age, they start to have this different journey come through. And, um, and once you see that tangibility of what the, the, the lunar calendars and, or, and, and what flower and fruit day aspects of the, the chemistry of the plant with that reaction of the yeast creates to provide those different kind of flavor profiles and that esters and that that flavonoids and volatiles is what makes it it's a pretty exciting little experiment for us and that's why we thought let's just bottle it all the way through so we can actually share that experience with with everyone who gets to try and taste the wines and uh, and, and they're much loved and they're one of the bigger big stars of the cellar door tasting whenever we do it. Oh, they certainly are. And I remember um, something that I think is important for the listeners to know is that, you know, you really are, you and Lou are very much on the cold face of your entire business. And like you said, you you do your own dis- distribution. You guys are working at Institute Polaire, your wine bar, you're pouring the drinks. But there's so much um, that you do, which is, is pretty full on when you're, when you're also making a lot of wine and, and producing your own gins and vodkas and bitters as you do. But I'll never forget when a couple of years ago, you know, we did a tasting and I had the, the Beauregard and the Lionheart Pinots side by side. And I said, oh, these are so great. I really wish these were in half bottles so I could sell them, you know, um, two half bottles side by side and let people experience them. And you were like, yeah, we can do that. 
Sure. And then you bottled them into half bottles and you did that for us. And I'll never forget, you know, after COVID that everybody was talking about how, how we're going to manage, you know, costs and sellers. And if there's some wines that weren't paid, could we return them? And I remember those wines came up and I, I stood my ground. I was like, absolutely not. These were bottled for me. You wrote the uh, vintage date on the side in your hand, in, you know, your handwriting. And I was like, these wines, I will buy them myself. They are not being returned. I will take them home with me. If that's the case. Uh, and it's just such an amazing part of what you do because you really feel connected to your wines. And I think it's, it's beautiful. Uh, and I think, you know, th- 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 that's so, so beautiful of you, Shante. And, and, and that is exactly why we would always work the way we do. It is a lot of work. It is a lot of travel. It is a lot of getting around. But it's, it's us passing on our excitement and our ambassadorship of what we try to do and the story we want to tell to all, all, all of the people who buy as sommeliers and, and retailers and, and them being the ambassadors to the, 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 the actual people who actually drink it. So, so it's, a, it's a great little connection which we, we, and those bonds that we form. And, and I find that these are, they're the, 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 the amazing extension of, of everything that is done because that story continues because there are some amazing wines around the world, but story is what, what makes, it, makes it so fascinating and so unique. And, and that's what makes us unique in that way because we have a different story to tell and and of course there have to be some amazing wines in in behind it to tell that story in its true format so no thanks for that support as always Chate. so no oh, it's you're right and i think that that um with telling a story you know there is a lot of the land and the place but I think you tell your story particularly well and, and it is unique when we look at, you know, Australian wine and we look at all the brands out there, there, your story is particularly unique. I do want to delve into growers because I think that often we talk about, you know, certain sites and working from the ground up. What's the importance of selecting a grower that you want to work with? Um I think it's a similar kind of passion and similar kind of energy and direction which one wants to take and see their vineyard go through. So, so we worked, and when we were doing a reconnaissance, we met Gerald Ellis and um, and we spoke about what we wanted and how we wanted to do our our way of wine and and um, and and having an opportunity to have really much older vineyards to work with, where which have been established for much longer. And it was one of the first few ones which were established. So it was it was a great little partnership which we worked through. And we actually make the wines on the site as well. So it's actual natural yeast that comes from the vineyard, which we utilize and ferment through. And we got a shed which we utilize over there. So it's um, it was that excitement which I saw and, and, and he saw, Gerald saw in us, that we were we were really keen to get get something really different and 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 then talk about that as well in a similar way um and and for gerald was also having the people who buy the fruit to be able to go and talk about the vineyard itself and say this is this is where some of the best wines are being made from those vineyards and um and similarly we we when we we spoke to the guys who had Gamay and, 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 and the guys who had um, um, Chardonnay in uh, Cordero Valley or, or, or Pinot, Pinot Blanc, it, it was a similar kind of ethos and uh, to be sustainable, to work towards trying to make vineyards which are, are very specific for the site and, and not used in any format 
any external like chemicals and so as a part of it. So it's it's it was just that similar ethos which we wanted to be be part of. And, and it was great. Like when you have a conversation, you pretty much know that the, the people are really keen and excited about doing that. But, and most of them now are now making their own wine. And that was the second phase of it that by making wines from those vineyards and going and talking to the, the, the buyers and sommeliers and talking about these vineyards, the second phase of it was that if they wanted to make their own wine, they would already have an entry to a lot of the places because they were able to say that this was a wines made by Domain Sima or other producers from this vineyard. So it's got an amazing little site. And when made well, they are they are super delicious and, and character for wine of the place. So so and most of them now, which we worked and made wines in, in past, are all making their own wines in their own sites, which is great to see. Hmm. So much consideration and, and uh, you know, like you said, you're, you're, you're reaping the absolute benefits of good vine age and people that have been on that place for longer than you, which I think is, is really cool. You make gin and vodka. Uh, you do a bit of everything, let's face it. But you also have made some bitters. Now, this is so fascinating to me. Um, when I was in Canada living there, a friend of mine started their own bitters company called Bitters Sling uh, Cocktail Bitters. Shout out to Lauren. Um, and... I wanted to do that myself when I got here and realized that everybody was just using Angostura. And I was like, I think I'll try my, try my own bitters. And so I bought all these bottles and all these aromatics. And I went down to the, the little Asian store and I bought all these dried herbs. And my partner was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm just kind of playing around. Anyway, it was a disaster. It all got thrown in the bin. And uh, I really should have probably had a little bit more of a clue. So tell me about the bitters because they're fascinating. I've used them. I adore them. And tell me how that started. Um, so th- this part is definitely, you know, what, what Luke kind of got got us into this whole element of creating more things. So, so the concept of it was like not to waste um, any of our products. So we used a lot of the grape mark and mask to make the spirit for our our gins and uh, grape-based gins, and then when we were making our gins, we would have these cuts, which we which we would have uh, from the heads or the tails, and we were like, we can't really just put it back into the still. So let's try to think of something which we can utilize. And and there's such an amazing abundance of all these botanicals, which are bitters botanicals that grow around in Tasmania, um, and. Um, and there was just a great source of in just within Derwent Valley. There was amazing source like the hops are right next to where where the vineyards are. The cherry farms are, are one of the, the most amazing cherries that come across in the world uh, are just down the road from us. The kombu, which which is a local Tasmanian kombu that grows between Kettering and, and Bruni, and um, and quinces were just on the farm. So Gerald would say, "Oh, do you want to take some of these quinces?" And I was like, "This is great. <laughs> we can do some stuff." So we made all these amazing tinctures from them and um, then uh, distilled all these lovely botanicals which were from the from the leftovers of the gin and vodka cuts and um, put together um, the bitters recipe for it and uh, so we got our gentians and so we made all of that and then started working with different kind of tinctures and see see how they form and um, and the beauty of was that we wanted to make something which was really about the natural environment of Tasmania. So it were all without any starches, without any kind of colorings. They were just exactly how the extract came. And uh, and we we kind of started with our bitters. And <laughs> they became so popular pretty quickly 
and we couldn't keep up with what we want to do. And, and the bar itself at Institut Polaire, we use so much of it as our cocktail making recipes. So they, they became a real kind of a excitement. And, and, and Lou, as usual, put an amazing packaging together. So that is an area which definitely has a, a lot of growth potential for us. But uh, it's only, like you said, just two of us. So we, we only find enough time to do enough things. But the, the, the basics of it is that we, we just always trying to find something, something which we can create and where we can utilize what resources we have and, uh, and bring it together and, and, and put forth um, those kind of flavors for everyone to kind of share with. So. Uh, literally so cool. I mean, you know, Lou, what, what a brainchild. You know, when, when I first came across them and, and they really do tell the story of Tasmania, looking at like native mountain pepperberry bitters, Southern Ocean Kombu, which has got like the native um, Tasmanian kombu that's not found anywhere else in the world. And then the hops, the Cascade hops, you know, telling the story of what hops has played in Tassie, like they just made so much sense. And I think that um, what an exciting realm to be in it. And there was a place in the market. I mean, now we're seeing lots of bitters come on, for, you know, in Australia, but um, I think it's, it's really cool. And I never know what to expect from you next. I know there's, there's, um, there's always ideas and I have to kind of keep Louise is definitely the the brainchild of most of the ideas. I have to kind of keep it keep it in the in containment of how much I can physically do because we we are getting older <laughs> and we can only do as much. I don't believe it. You look like twenty six, Nav. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> you haven't seen me for a few years. It's changed pretty quick. <laughs> I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Um, but I think no. It's it's. I think we, we've got uh, definitely the spirit section of our our. A portfolio is definitely growing. So with wines, we find like we are we are at the right spot. The amount of we produce and what we do and how we sell kind of makes it really sustainable for us to to run through. But with the spirit section, we've, we 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 definitely want to do more because there's so much more exciting things. We we did a little bit of vermouth, which we just used used at the bar a few few years back, and uh, our first ever whiskey is coming out. A five year old whiskey. So malt whiskey. So yeah, there's there's there's, the, there's and brandies. We we did a lot of little brandy which we utilize from our wine to to make. So so there's 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 amazing growth potential for our spirit section. So that's going to be something which will be definitely we we'll be doing more work in and growing it more over coming years. And um, and the bar is uh, an endless supply of our energy take. <laughs> so it's uh, it's uh, as as you would know a lot of work. But I'll let Lou talk about that when you have that conversation with her. Definitely. I mean, you know. Not only do you guys do all of that, but you run an amazing Institute Polaire wine bar, which is, uh, you know, has won multiple awards for the list, which is listing all Tasmanian wines and then incredible drinks and, you know, uh, whiskey, whiskey masker masterclasses and gin masterclasses and it's just endless and I'm just like I don't know how you fit it all in, but I'm yeah very, very grateful that you provide such amazing experiences for people. Yeah, uh, the idea for behind the bar, which I think Lou will tell more about, but was to kind of have this complete uh, hospitality plus service and experience that comes from all the way where we produce to be able to share that from gin experience to wine. And now we do a whole set menu at the restaurant and we have our domain cinema wines, which are specifically matched with the dishes that are basically the food that is grown around Tasmania. So you, you can have that full experience of having the Domain Sima wines with the foods that's matched and how those really coincide with each other. So that's that was the bigger picture of ours. 
to 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 bring it all the way through for a guest experience to have. Mm. Well, you do everything so well, so I yeah it was a logical next step but um i hope that in the future whatever the next uh you know challenges are for you that you also get a little bit of sleep a little bit of rest and a bit of you time and a little bit of uh, you and lou time as well (laughs) now tell me if you could only drink three beverages for the rest of your life what would they be and why um the first one which i've got right in front of me is definitely that it's a sudpule dry martini so that is always the, it's always a start up for the night for me and the end of the night so a martini I couldn't do without so um, that will definitely be one of the beverages the other thing which I love a lot and I've always I think it was probably one of the starting point of of um, of drinks was um, was rice wine which we get in India in a different format but definitely the sake and uh, it's it's the umaminess, the the amazing kind of slipperiness of and the refreshment of those kind of drink is what we love about it. So I, I, I'm 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 a big fan of that. So that is something which I cannot do without. There's always a sake bottle in the fridge, and there's uh, plenty of choices for martinis. And um, and the final thing would definitely be a textural. I'm not very biased about wine wise because I think I've gone past that stage of talking about just being a burgundy or a chardonnay but it's to me it's more like a textural white or a red which is has that delicacy and has that personality and has that liveliness that livingness about itself so it's so, so depending on the day depending on how we're feeling it's either a textural white or a, or a nice gentle delicate red uh, is is the three kind of drinks which i'm always uh, savor and have in our fridge that's great because you know i often think that too it's like not just a well-made but like you said it's got to offer good acidity great texture interest nice aromas and that can come in so many forms it doesn't have to be riesling doesn't have to be chardonnay doesn't have to be a co-fermented fill blend it's just saying in general i want texture i want something that's you know juicy fresh but interesting and so i see you on in in both of those points it's kind of you know it kind of rounds up everything without having to say like a million different varieties. I love that. I'm glad. I'm glad because that's that's our, our our way of of enjoying things. I'm not not too biased about varieties and regions now anymore. It's, there's so many beautiful things from all across the world. So I think it'll be not doing justice to it that way. I love it. Nav, it's been enlightening. It always is. I love having a chat to you. I hope next time I get to see you in person and uh, let me know, obviously, when you're up next and I I will go out of my way to make sure that I get to see you. So thank you very much for spending your time with me and enjoy the rest of your martini. Thanks, Shante. Always a pleasure. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.